Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Leaving no kid behind. That's right. Get them all going in there. That is fantastic. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you. It's good to worship God with you. It's good to, I love hearing voices all around. It's a reminder that we're not alone in all of this as we worship and praise our God. So welcome. Uh, Some of you might be new here. Maybe we've not had the chance to meet before. I'd love the chance to meet you. And uh, my name's Matt, one of the pastors here. And whatever I can do to serve you, I'd love to be able to do that. So introduce yourself to me after the service. Uh, Use the little Live It Shared card on the end of the aisles. You can uh, let us know how we can pray for you, help you connect with what's going on here. Um, We'd love to be able to do that. So uh, let us know how we can do that. A couple things uh, right off the the bat here I want to kind of bring to our attention on top of the things that Lauren had talked about. Uh, One of them is coming up at the end of March, we're going to do some more baptisms. And so some of you might have made a decision in your life to follow Jesus, but you have not yet made the decision to be baptized. And this might be your chance. If you've got questions about baptism and what that looks like, just indicate baptism on the Live It Share It card. You can do that online as well. And uh, let us know. And we we would love to talk with you and answer your questions and see if this is the right time for you to, to take that step uh, following in obedience to Jesus, all right, in baptism. So those are coming up at the end of March, but uh, we're preparing now and want you to not miss your opportunity for it, all right? So on top of what Lauren was talking about coming up on Saturday in our, our bubble-up session led by the center, it's just going to be an important time for, for us as a church to discern together, to listen to God's voice uh, as we talk, as we pray, as we put ourselves in front of him. This is what is happening here in that time frame. And so in order to kind of prepare ourselves, uh, one of the things that the elders are asking all of us to do is we're, setting, we're calling on our church to fast and pray on Thursday of this week in preparation. So uh, maybe you've never fasted before. This is a a time for you to learn and grow in that. I'm going to be sending out an email later today or tomorrow morning that talks a little bit more about what fasting looks like. A lot of times it is food, but some of us may have medical situations that mean that we shouldn't be fasting food, but there are other ways that we can uh, participate in that. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in detail through email. But we're asking, as elders, we're asking our church to fast fast and pray in preparation for what God wants to do on Saturday the 18th. And so we're asking you to be a part of this process of fasting and praying as we seek God's voice together. All right. If you got questions, again, happy to answer those uh, as we prepare ourselves to, to listen and to be a part of what God is doing here. Hope you'll join me on Thursday in fasting and praying. Let's take a few moments and pray together as we settle in, as we prepare ourselves to hear from God through his word today. So join me in in prayer if you would. Father, we come before you this morning and... uh we're, we're thankful to be able to do this. We're, we're thankful that we can worship you, that we can gather together, that we can explore uh, you and life with you, that we can respond in faith and obedience. Thank you, God, for how you have revealed yourself to us and continue to do that. Help us to be attentive today to your nearness. Help us to be mindful of your love Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. 
God, we also want to just take, take a moment and as we look at the world around us, there's just so much absolute tragedy and strife. And we're not always even sure what to do with that. Across the world in Turkey and Syria, just tens of thousands have died. You hear every voice crying out in sorrow. We ask God that you would comfort the mourning and the grieving, that you would strengthen the rescuers, that they would find those who are still alive yet buried and unfound. Father, we pray for your church in that region of the world, our brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, that they would uh, radiate your beauty, that they would radiate your hope, that they would radiate your grace and mercy in the midst of such deep sorrow and grief and loss. Awaken us to ways that we can stand with them and walk with them as encouragement both tangibly and in our own prayers. God, our deepest desire is that you would reveal yourself in the midst of death. Would you show yourself as the author of life? And I don't know how you do that there, but we're praying that you would. And God, many of us, even here, we don't have to look across the world to see sorrow and strife and angst. We're experiencing it, so many of us, in our own lives. We pray for your mercy in abundance. We pray for your comfort in the midst of loss. We pray for peace in the midst of anxiety and hope in the face of depression. God, speak to us in the, uh, the deepest places of our soul, the places that really, frankly, only you can reach and awaken us through the power of your spirit. Bring your healing, bring your strength, bring your comfort, bring your hope and peace and joy. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing to talk about what it looks like for us to belong to one another. Sort of a a different way of looking at things. We approach communities so often on our terms. Like here's what I bring, here's what I expect from you, and those kinds of things. And so it's, it's this mutual agreement that we often enter into these social relationships. But what, what scripture is teaching us, what God is showing us, is that when we decide to follow Jesus, we are automatically a part of this new community, this new family, this, this new body. And so we have to relearn what it looks like to belong to one another. We have to relearn what it looks like to engage. And especially in our world of such incredible division and strife, we live together in this new community that God is shaping in a way that bears witness to who he is to a world that watches. And so let's continue to learn these things. And we're going to uh, read uh, a little section here in Romans chapter 12. We started out in Romans last week. And so we're picking up where we left off after last week. And uh, so listen, Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 9, 9 through 13. So just a, a, about a paragraph here in our English Bibles. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this. Love must be sincere. 
Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're going to stop there for today. At first glance, especially as the way that it's written for us, we see these as almost this buckshot of instructions. Like you almost like would get this as Paul is walking out the door. Hey, just a few last things. Don't forget this, right? That's kind of how you would expect it, but it's not. It's right. It's parked right here in the middle. So Paul has laid this foundation of God's mercy. And then he draws us into this in what it looks like to be us together, to be this new body. As we look at what Paul is doing here, this isn't a staccato buckshot of things, a haphazard list of things to remember, like a grocery list on the refrigerator. This is an ever-deepening, like when Paul uses this as a rhetoric device, it's, it's this and this and this and this, and it's driving down the same road. And his iteration over and over and over again is painting for us a picture of what it looks like when love gets real. He's laid the foundation of love, done so beautifully, and then he's showing us what does it look like when love gets real. You see, as God's new community, this church, this body, this new family, God's new community is a sign pointing to new creation when all things will be made new. It's a sign here, right here in the mess of this world. That's what we are, a a sign pointing to God's work of making all things new. Sin creates division among people in ways that have been outlined earlier in his book, particularly in chapter 1. This divisiveness, this consternation, this hard-heartedness, this selfishness and greed run rampant is described there. Sin creates this division. And we as all people experience that. That's, That's who we are when left to our own devices. But God's redemption, God's salvation brings loving communion into the world through God's people who love each other in these sorts of concrete ways, right? So sin has created this incredible division and we see it all over our world in wars and rumors of wars. We see it in broken and fractured families, betrayal amongst friends. We see it in the uh, divisive political discord of our day. We see it all around us. And yet as God's new community, the church, we are to be something different, Holy, different. Holy, both whole and holy is in holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We are a different community marked by his love, marked by his mercy, marked by his grace. And so God's redemption, God's salvation brings loving communion into the world through us. And this is a reminder for us that what God does in us, he also does through us. And what God does through us, he also does in us. 
In other words, when it comes to God's love, his love is, is awakened because in us because he has poured it out on us. He has shown us his love. He has poured out his love on us. And what happens in us also happens through us. God expresses his love to the world through us. But also, we keep in mind, God's expression of love is not just for those out here, because sometimes we can get lost in that too. Right? Sometimes we'll think this is good for them, but I'm not sure God could actually love me. And so what God does through us, he also does in us. This is just the way that God works. And so when Paul is talking about these specific ways, he's, he's doing so and showing us in the reiteration, reiteration, reiteration of what love looks like when it gets real. The word that he uses right here in verse 9, right off the bat, is agape, right? You, some of you are familiar. There's different words for love, and they've got different nuances, and they carry some different meanings. In English, we just say love, but there can be different words in the original language, in the Greek language. And so uh, this word there is agape, and this is the first time Paul uses agape to speak to us. Previous times in the letter to the Romans that Paul is using the language of agape, he's talking about God and his love. You're not going to find this on the screen, but I do want to flip back. And so you can flip back in your Bibles with me for a moment to uh, Romans chapter 5. We see this. So here are some examples of what it looks like when Paul is talking about God's agape, his uh, beautiful, good, sustaining, sacrificial love. We see this in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, circle that, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Remember I talked about that? God poured his love out in us through his Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Uh, go down just to verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love, circle that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this, those are all agape, this self-sacrificial love, this pouring out love for the good of another. Just flip another page over, Romans chapter eight. Uh, I just want to read a, a couple of verses there. Uh, verses uh, 35 would be another one where we see this word agape creep up here. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love, the agape of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, danger or sword? And of course, the implicit there is no, no. And he goes on to say no. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us circle that for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love circle it of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and so when Paul talks about agape, these are the places that he's talked about agape, where it has been God's love expressed in Christ and poured out into us. And now we see this turn, right? After laying this foundation of God's love, powerful, transformational, redeeming love, he now turns his face towards us and says, at the beginning of chapter 12, you remember this? right? In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. 
This is what true worship is, right? So we embody his mercy. We embody his love. And so love, Paul says right there, we're not going to take every word of every sentence and pick it apart like this, but I want us to you know, notice this foundation, this agape love foundation. This is what he's talking about. And this is the thread that works its way through all of these maybe seemingly disconnected things. But when we see how love connects them, we go, oh, oh. This is how love gets real. Where the rubber meets the road, right? You've heard that phrase, where the rubber meets the road. Sometimes when we talk about love, it's all tire, no road. But here, Paul doesn't allow us to do that. It's where the rubber meets the road, And so how does he say this, right? Let's go through these things. When love gets real, it is sincere. When love gets real, it is sincere. Now the word again that's used there, it it literally means um, not or without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy literally means play acting. Right, you heard Jesus say, don't pray like the hypocrites do. And he chastised the Pharisees for being hypocrites. They were play actors. Whitewashed tombs, looking all spiffy on the outside, but on the inside, just full of dead man's bones. This was Jesus' judgment and woe to the religious leaders of his day. And so this is the picture that we get of hypocrisy. When love gets real, it rejects Hypocrisy, it is without hypocrisy, it is without this play acting. Think about the way that we engage relationships in our smugness or manipulation, or we play along to get along. We say one thing to a person's face and another thing behind their back. That's love, that's hypocrisy play acting but the love that flows from God this love where the rubber meets the road this agape love must be without hypocrisy it must be sincere truthful John tells us in John chapter 1 that when Jesus came the word came when he came he came full of grace and truth. Jesus shows us what love looks like. Do you want to know what love looks like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know what the love of the Father looks like? Look at Jesus. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. He's the embodiment of love. And so love that is sincere, love that is expressed without hypocrisy, is a love that comes with the flourishing fullness of grace and truth. This grace that moves towards another and this truthfulness that only, that only speaks what's true. It doesn't cajole, it doesn't manipulate, it doesn't control. There's freedom in that. There's power in that as love expressed in truth and grace is unleashed in sincerity. Then Paul goes on. When love gets real, it discerns good from evil. When love gets real, it discerns good from evil. We live in a world that has not yet been fully made new, 
through the power of Christ and the resurrection. But we live in a world where God's goodness touches down in our midst. We live in a world where good and evil continue to battle. And we live in the midst of that battle every day. And so love, flourishing, life-giving, transformational, sincere love discerns good from evil. It doesn't flip-flop. It doesn't uh, get wishy-washy. It discerns good from evil. Love discerns good from evil in your home as you teach your children to navigate the world in which we live where there is good and evil. The goodness of God revealed through Christ and God's enemy, which is wily and deceptive and covert. And so we learn through scripture and God's revelation of himself in scripture to learn and to discern and to see. Love discerns good from evil. Hate what is evil. It's repulsed by it, right? Because it seems even hard to understand how love and hate coexist, right? We love one another We love in sincerity, and yet we hate what is evil. And we recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. The forces that are at work in this world to deceive, seek to not only deceive, but to destroy God's good creation, including you and me. Love, love doesn't just abide in the midst of evil. Love stands prophetically in its midst and proclaims goodness, the goodness of God revealed in Christ in the fullness of grace and truth. Do you see how these things, can you begin to form an imagination for what this looks like? It doesn't come off in bombastic. It stands in protest in prophetic strength against evil so we hate what is evil repulsed by it and we cling to what is good do you is this word that carries this almost this desperation this clinging if you're out in the sea and you've got a life buoy you cling to it knowing that this is what will save you this is what keeps you alive this is the language that paul is using here hate be repulsed by evil and cling to what is good Cling to what is good. This is what love looks like when it gets real. Love discerns good from evil. When love gets real, it is devoted in familial love. The language that's used here is um, be devoted to one another in love, where in brotherly love might be some of the translation you have there. These are some, some different words that Paul is bringing in here. There was agape at the beginning of this passage, and then this um, uh, philo, uh, Philadelphia would be kind of the, not the eagles. Joe somewhere just got happy and he's not sure why. But it's but the like the language is literally this Philadelphia. That's why we call it Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which is ironic because they beat everybody up. But 
but it's this Philadelphia, like be devoted. So the language of devotion carries with it uh, this natural affectation, this natural love, this natural uh, love of family, particularly a parent for child. And I know as, as parents, we, we fall short of perfection in our love, absolutely. But there is a love that we have. Like I have been surprised at the love that just seemed to be birthed in me the moment I met my children. Like the world changed in that day and wasn't good enough for them, right? If those of you who are parents, you know what that is. There's something that, is, that takes place in us when we become parents. This is what he's tapping into in devotion. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for the good of my children, including saying no. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. I don't go to my children for my good. I love my children for their good, for their flourishing. This is what devoted means when he says, be devoted to one another in love. And the love there is this Philadelphia, this brotherly love, this affection between siblings. You're like, have you met my siblings? <laughs> right, but there's something about family. And and look at how God is, is untangling the cords that divide us and hold us captive. And he's drawing us together into this new reality, right? Because he's shaping this new community. Even Jesus, you might remember the story from Jesus. Jesus was teaching, the, crowd, the house was full and people couldn't get in and somebody, word kind of got to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're asking for you. And Jesus says, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Like, what? You don't, like, has, have you... Like had a stroke? What's happening? Why would you ask that? He says, my mother and my brother are those who do the will of the father who sent me. So Jesus is messing with this notion of family even in his life. And so Paul is letting that settle in. There's this new fam set of family relationships. And so be devoted to one another in this family love. When love gets real, it is devoted in familial love. When love gets real, it honors the other. Honors the other. It doesn't say it dishonors the self, but we honor others. Paul has hit this, hit this bell a few different times. We see this in Philippians as well. That we take on the humility of Christ as his love awakens in us. There's a humility that's birthed in us. And so we honor others, honor one another. When love gets real, it honors the other. The, the, this uh, phrasing there carries with it almost a little bit of competition. Almost a little bit of competition. Okay, does that just get somebody's attention? Right, so we, we like to compete and it usually creates division. Paul is saying, let your competition be a competition of honor. Outdo each other in showing honor. Well, that makes sibling rivalry a little less fun, right? Like, what's the point of being the oldest if you can't pummel them a little bit, right? So, it, 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 but it, it speaks of this competition, outdo each other in showing honor. Like, you want to know what the measurement, like how much to honor? Right, outdo each other in showing honor. That, that's what it is to be us, that's what love looks like when it gets real. To be deferential in honor of another. 
hey, did you see what they were doing over here? You got to see this, right? Because a lot of times, what do we do? We're like, oh, did you see that? Oh, that's completely different, isn't it? Did you see what they did? Did you hear what they said? Oh, I couldn't believe that. I felt embarrassed for that. No, no, no. We honor. Did you see what they did? Oh, it was so fabulous. Man, when, when they were serving other people, it was just such a beautiful thing to do. When they were, uh, you know, I saw them as parents and they were uh, shaping their children right there in the hallway. That was so great. Like we want to complain about kids that are loud and rowdy. We want to complain about kids on the airplane and the grocery store and that kind of thing. But how do we honor each other when we see parents step into it? Right? When we see parents step into it at a restaurant or in the grocery store, sometimes I want to go like, good job, go get them, parents. Because like, like, the kid's like looking at me like I'm going to be the one that gets them out of trouble. Like If they scream loud enough, I'm going to tell their parents to stop. Nope, that's just not the way that it works. Go get them, parents. Right? We honor others when we see uh, God alive in them, the way we use our words and our posture towards others. Outdo one another in showing honor. And he goes on, when love gets real, it fuels passionate service. When love gets real, it fuels passionate service. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Isn't that a great word, zeal? Zeal. Like, it just kind of, it sounds like what it is, this passionate, like never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Right? When love gets real, it enlivens passion in us. And that passion can look different. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.